0: I've never done whole parts. take little tiny pieces. There won't
1: even be a scar. I think I found the oh, problem. come on, you're the doctor.
2: Everyone, lights out and quiet. Hello, and welcome back to the Columbia University Film Festival interview series here on The Medium Work. Our entry today opens with a conversation about SOMA, a relational drama between two sisters that unfolds over the course of an evening as one recovers from a traumatic event. Without further ado, here's Wes to take us in.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Medium Um where movies come to be examined. As always, I am Wes. I'm Justin. I'm Danny. I'm Zach. And will the filmmaker introduce themselves in their film?
3: Yes. My name is Eliza Bruger, and I'm the writer-director of SOMA. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Film
1: that just right off the bat, <laughs> I think we all
4: really enjoyed. Uh, we all really, really loved Soma. Oh, thank you I so much. the title, too. Yeah, I thought it was <laughs> named after the, the Strokes song. Yeah, I guess that should be the first question, right? Where does the
3: title come from? <laughs> uh, so the title means, um, the definition is the body separate from the mind, mm-hmm. psyche, or and mm-hmm. soul, I think. Um, and so since it's a story about a woman who has freshly uh, experienced trauma and she's still sort of um, in this state where she um, her mind is kind of behind and um, playing catch up while her body makes all of its decisions.
1: Well, I, I think, I think right off the bat, the visual style of your film, it's, it's, I believe shot on film, uh, it yeah. looks very different from a lot of the films that we're playing this year. What, what was, uh, what was your visual approach to it? What, what was in your mind, either references or feelings to get to this, this point visually?
3: Uh, well, my cinematographer and I, um, we like went through a lot of different references to find what we wanted because there's a lot of cool, It actually wasn't shot on film. Um, it's really? just, My cinematographer is also a really good colorist. Um, But we are doing. (laughs) I'm actually (laughs) shocked. Wow. I know. I know, right? But we are planning on doing a film out with it. So eventually it'll be put on film. And the the cinematographer was the colorist. Is that right? Yes. I see, yes, okay, yes. cool,
4: wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has like a Panavision logo at the very end, so I just thought it was shot on like Panavision film cameras. I was definitely fooled, so. Yeah. Cool, yeah. good, Congrats.
3: good. That's that's, yeah. that's what we were going for. <laughs> we wanted to shoot it on film, but since it mostly takes place at night, um, we didn't have a big enough budget to afford the lighting we needed, basically, so we found another yeah. way. So Yeah, but that is something that we talked about a lot, is that we really wanted a really gritty look to it, um, since it's such a kind of raw, story um and she's in such a strange you know state of mind um and you know it's all about the bo- the film to me is very much about the body and, and texture and feelings and um so fil- i feel like film just kind of shows that a little bit more um mm-hmm. yeah and we wanted to stay really close to her and put her in really uncomfortable angles you know because she's you know I wanted to make the audience feel scared in moments mm-hmm. that weren't actually scary. You know, she's talking to this mm-hmm. guy at a party and it's a pretty like harmless conversation. Um, but because of the state of mind that she's in um, you know, I wanted to still create fear. And so we kind of shot it like it was sure. a horror film, even though yeah. it's it's not mm-hmm. really. Yeah.
2: Mm. yeah. Eliza, I, uh, I want to pick up on that. Actually, it just occurred to me now there was a film class. There was a class I took uh, at pace called seminar on film. And like every time that professor taught it, we were, there was a different theme to everything we watched. So mm-hmm. the time I was taking it, we were focusing on memory and um, on trauma. And there was something that we read. I don't remember by whom. Yeah, I don't remember. Someone smart who suggested that trauma isn't the event. It's actually the recollection of the event. And it's right. the relationship between the thing that reminds you of it and the actual mm-hmm. thing that causes almost like a feedback loop. Yeah, that's what is distressing. So I wonder um, if that was part of your intention. You know, I I mean, I'll say Mm -hmm. like, while watching this, I I wasn't sure how literal it all was supposed to be, if it was like, Mm -hmm. she's actually experiencing some sort of psychic, you know, visions of of the future or past or potential, you know what I mean? Or if it Mm -hmm. is just a metaphor of the trauma that she experienced kind of refracting onto these other uh, encounters and interactions she's having. So it, was that kind of whether or not you articulated it that way? Is that at the heart maybe of how you're depicting uh, what this main character is going through in the movie?
3: Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess what got me really interested in telling this story in the first place is that um, I I learned about, I'm sure you've heard of this before, but there's this there's this um book called Ze- Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And basically, it's about how um, when a zebra is being chased by a lion and it escapes with its life, um, the first thing it does is it trembles all over. Um, it shakes out mm. the adrenaline mm-hmm. because what happens is when you experience something traumatic, your your brain gives control over to your body by pumping mm-hmm. it full of adrenaline, um, and then once so once the um, once it's safe, then it shakes out that remaining adrenaline, um, and carries on with its life. But humans, we don't have that instinct. And so what usually happens Mm -hmm. is that the trauma gets stuck in our body through adrenaline. Um, it's actually like, that's what causes PTSD basically is that your body is trying to get your brain to say, Hey, something happened. We haven't processed Mm -hmm. it yet. Are we still safe? In and that's yeah or still in danger yeah and that's why um the flashbacks happen is that you're like flare you're up in that? Mm-hmm. Sense. yeah it's literally your body saying hey we haven't addressed this thing that happened and we need to figure out how to make sure it doesn't happen again um mm-hmm. so when people experience flashbacks whether it's through like you know whatever type of trauma it is that's kind of what's happening um and so my hope with this story was to sort of show that um you know that that moment right after trauma mm-hmm. and like what you know what brings a person back into their body what what keeps them you know going and because there's such i've learned about such like physical effects that happen after somebody experiences something even if it's like a car crash you know um where you you'll have a drop in body temperature even um and like you know there's all of this crazy stuff that happens with the body um and i think it's so fascinating so i wanted to explore that um
4: body reacts to depression you know, there's that car seat headrest uh, lyric, and this is so emo of me. Um Will Toledo says, "Um, because it's not the sadness that hurts you; it's your body's reaction mm. against it." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what that reminds yeah. me of yeah. yeah. And I think this movie has a really great portrayal of that. I mean, it's it's not so much just her reflecting on trauma which is what we see so much with movies dealing with trauma it's how that trauma is corrupting her present yeah. you know like mm-hmm. she can't enjoy herself at this party because trauma is rearing itself and making her enter this fly, fight or flight state mm-hmm. and project certain things onto other partygoers that you know puts her in a you know kind of a kind of a shell shocked kind of mindset yeah you know, in this social setting. so it, it, this it, it deals with that theme in a, in a really unique and powerful way. I think I want to congratulate you on that. Thank
3: you. Thanks so much. It's interesting because, you know, flat, like when you think about what is a flashback, it's basically, you know, a memory. Um, but you, mm-hmm. that that's, that's a, the only way to really show that through film is through visuals, mm-hmm. I guess, and also sound, but all of your senses experience memories. Um, like, you know, you smell something, you, you know, we all know that, but like it, also that's what you know the triggers come from not just for something you see but that you feel or hear or, um smell or whatever mm-hmm. and so to try to show that in a film is is really tricky because it's such a visual medium only yeah. but yeah
2: yeah i think you managed i know zach i i think this dovetails right into what you were about yeah. to ask actually um Yeah. I mean, I, one of
5: my, my favorite moment I think uh, of the movie was when um, the guy is like caressing her sister's face um, and she sees like that ring on his hand and then it like, there's a flashback uh, to her encounter. And then, you know, she has that reaction to it only to realize that the ring, you know, wasn't on his hand. So I thought that was a great moment because for a second I was like, oh my God, like this was the guy and like, you know, she might've blocked it out and Mm -hmm. it's this realization um, but it's you know it turns mm-hmm. out to be just like this you know continued like breakdown of her like mental state and her emotional state and i thought uh that was just a really nice moment because there were some like uh, psycho thriller vibes to that you know what i mean and it's just like <laughs> absolutely
3: yeah. um
1: so well done on that
3: oh, thank you thank you so much
1: eliza I'm, I'm curious as to how you worked with your actresses i know this is very intense and um, A, they had to be sisters, which is already on mm-hmm. screen To create that kind of connective tissue on screen Where it's believable, is difficult um, And then mm-hmm. also, this is difficult work So how, what was your approach to working with the actors?
3: Um, we, you know, before we we never we didn't rehearse um, I, I was so lucky to find both of them They're, They were such, it was so easy to work with them I didn't have to get them to any certain point um they were already there so it was just like once we got on set it was about just like playing and adjusting um because they were just both so naturally amazing i love them i can't wait to work with them again um but before we mostly just had a lot of conversations or a couple of long conversations so we'd get coffee and chat a lot um you know it is it's like something where you know it's so important that they both feel safe um Mm. to explore that that type of situation. Um, And so, yeah, I just wanted... We kind of got to know each other as people, um, as girls, (laughs) as women. Uh, And then, you know, uh, the rest was just like pretty... It was pretty easy because they're so good, to be honest. I I wish I could be like, oh, yeah. Mm. You know, it was... (laughs) Yeah, I had to implement genius methods, but they're just really talented. Mm. Um, Mm. But yeah, yeah. And we had an intimacy coordinator too, so that was really helpful, even though... There's nothing like very on screen. You know, I, I really didn't want to show anything violent or, or anything like that. Um, it was more about creating feelings. But even so, you know, we knew the feelings we were trying to create. And so, regardless, it was good to have somebody there who could kind of um, monitor everything.
5: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, that actually. Oh, sorry, Danny, like, go like ahead. What? You want it, You're throwing it back to me? Okay. Take it away. Yeah, well, uh, going. Off of that, like, um, like an actor that has to be in that that state throughout the whole movie, and there's this escalation. I was wondering, like, what that process um, looked like as an actor. It just sounds really challenging to have to be in that kind of place for an entire movie. And if there was a, a kind of regiment to that, to to you know keep that focused, or if you let the actor kind of just do her thing.
3: Mm. Um. Yeah. I the, we started the very first scene that we shot was the last scene of the movie, um, so the fight scene. So yeah. it was them, hugging yeah, on the beach. yeah. So <laughs> we started with probably, I mean, definitely the most um, physically and emotionally difficult scene that we could. Um, and I think that was really, really good because there was just like super high energy. We were really excited. We were really nervous um, because the first day was a hard day. And it was going to mm. be one of those like, if we don't make today, it's going to be like the rest of the shoot. It's going to be a nightmare. And we did. And it was it went smooth and everything. Mm. But we were nervous and excited. And so there was all this really great energy that the actresses had working together. Um, and we had this amazing stunt coordinator. His name is Matt Burberry. Um, he's the I don't know how we got him but he's the uh stunt double for walking Phoenix in the new Joker movie. So like oh, this. Wow, yeah, wow. so this little
1: Did you guys steal him? No, the, I, <laughs>
3: he's also a director um and my cinematographer shot something for him yeah. and so he like as a favor asked if he'd wow. come on and he's like, "Oh yeah, sure, I love to do little things like this." And I was like, yeah. "Okay." Wow.
4: wow. Yeah. Sure. The stunt guys are some of the most interesting people. They are See, they're, they're so interesting. I I would just have really long conversations with some of the like stunt like day players who would come in when I was working on the Wu Tang show and they they all right. just have really really every every one of them has almost every one of them has
3: like, a weird <laughs> Yeah. <story> that <laughs> that um, yeah.
1: So,
4: yeah, that's great.
1: That's
3: a really Yeah. That's a cool yeah, and, story. That's a and it pull. was such an easy thing for him to to do, you know, um because it was just like So we like went through a bunch of different it was fun because we we went through a bunch of different fight scenes and different movies to find like what type of fight I wanted it to be. Um, And it was really cool.
1: Well, well, Eliza, we uh, we oh, I'm sorry. Were we about to do the same thing? We were. (laughs) Okay. Well, take it away, Justin.
2: <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Eliza, we're uh, we're a double feature style podcast. and our regular episodes, we usually review at least two films in connection with each other and discuss their similarities mm. thematically and whatnot. Um, is there any film were you to be screening this uh, and you were asked to program it alongside another film? Uh, what would be your first pick for that?
3: Mm. From any time? Yeah, any time. Okay. Man, that's such a good question. Um,
5: Thank you. Yeah. Maybe
3: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, American Honey. Um, cool. Okay. Well,
1: it's
3: cool. Yeah. American Honey or or maybe Tangerine. Um, uh, that's a good tangerine. one. You know, that's a good one. Yeah. People really like needing connection in desperate moments or it seems to be yeah. kind of the vibe
4: yeah mm-hmm. great tangerine's
1: Lovely. phenomenal well yeah. um mm-hmm. soma will be opening the festival in program a oh. friday may 12th at 5 okay. p.m last film of the first block opening the festival up um please go and watch it it's a really exciting um film you should see this first yeah thing. eliza thank you so much for coming on your <laughs> film is really incredible um we really really yeah. loved it and it's really cinematic yeah yeah, yeah, Thank you. you. you Thank you a, so much. You got a Scorsese comp from Dan in the group chat. Dan's yeah, uh The we uh, first see her
4: at like the phone booth and like these kids are it's like a party on the street and they're like running past with sparklers. I was like, that's something you would have seen in like a Scorsese like mob movie. I don't know. It's a very cool oh my. touch.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Eliza.
3: You bet, thanks guys.
2: Up next, a conversation with the director and producer of Chokehold, a story of a young yarder trying to break into the world of professional wrestling in North Carolina. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to The Medium Org. I am your host, Justin Winley, and I'm joined today uh, by two great filmmakers. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves?
6: Cool. Hey, Justin. Uh, Hey, audience. I'm Max McGilvery. Uh, I'm the writer-director of Chokehold.
0: Hello, uh, Patrick Nichols. Yes, I um, produced the short film Chokehold.
2: Yeah, really great to have you guys both on. Um, Very much enjoyed the film. And I think just, you know, by way of starting, as general of a question as it is, where did the idea for this short come from?
6: Oh, gosh. So, yeah, it started because I was always obsessed with wrestling as mm. a kid. Uh, you know, every night I watched WWE, Monday Night Raw, you know, SmackDown on Wednesday <laughs> nights and yeah. all that sort of stuff and all the pay-per-view. And, um, you know, I I actually, uh, there's a funny story about how I was so obsessed with it. I had all these action figures and everything, and I, I wanted to emulate them as much as possible in mm. my backyard And one day, my brother was really upset with me, uh, and I I started to fight him. And my favorite wrestler at the time was a guy named Rikishi, um, who did a finisher where he shakes his butt in people's faces. So at at the end of our little tiff, I threw my brother down and shook my butt in his face. Excellent. And my my mom came out (laughs) at the exact moment, and she banned me from watching wrestling for the next, you know decade or so. And so Mm. uh, when I came back to thinking about making a film, I I thought about, you know, how wrestling was really a thing for me that, you know, uh, was dangerous, but also really exciting and brought some sort of form of safety and security into my life that was really cool. Right. uh, Even though it was so dangerous, you know. Um, So that's kind of where everything spun out. And then we started to have conversations with a lot of Independent wrestlers and backyard wrestlers, and sort of that's where everything sort of started to really gain momentum.
2: Awesome, awesome. Um, and so, Patrick, then for you, how did you come to produce this? You've got, I believe, three films um, that you produced in Cuff this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, I'm a producer on three. Um, let's see, I came, I came to it a little later. Definitely, you know, I don't think I quite had that passion for wrestling um and (laughs) i was i was the younger brother you know in in my family and so i I definitely remember playing some wrestling video games and i remember being the one getting like power bombed into the couch Mm, from time to time as like the the little brother um but never really like appreciated it or it just wasn't on my radar but coming into this project you know max had already sort of worked on the story a lot with uh, another producer on the project chidi um Amariume, who's um, mm. an alum of the program, and they had developed it pre-COVID and were set to shoot it, uh, and then COVID happened and mm. everything shut down. Um, so I kind of came on after they'd already really developed several iterations, set in this world of wrestling, set in this kind of like childhood or sort of edge between childhood and adulthood, and, and sort of where the dream of wrestling can kind of live, especially in that place. Um, but I was, you know, first just excited about the script, excited about working with Chidi and Max on it. Um, and I think for me, Max had established just by chance these connections to wrestlers in North Carolina, which is this hotbed of like sort of independent outlaw wrestling. It's all, it's mm-hmm. had a tradition of that and especially okay. the more rural parts of North Carolina. And being from there, you know, I knew Max really wanted to focus on the specificity of like place uh, and sort mm-hmm. of where this could happen. And we were looking at just, oh, we could do it in LA where Max is or like New Jersey, kind of near New York. So, cause we know people there. And, and so I think my biggest kind of, early on contribution was just pitching the idea of doing it in North Carolina, like being from there and already having wrestling contacts and making it feel like a very sort of specific to that region story. And and I think we did a little research, Max was into the idea and we just kind of ran from there.
2: Yeah. Awesome. I I love that. That uh, specificity definitely shines through. It's actually very interesting to know that you guys shot this in North Carolina because one of the things that stood out to me most was the setting um, and that There, you know that cold open, almost made me wonder if it was a period piece, uh, and like like an early aughts kind of thing, you know, with the with the infusion of VHS or home video kind of uh um aesthetic. Uh, Was that ever part of the idea to actually fully go ahead and put it in the early aughts, or were you always kind of
6: yeah, totally. I mean, the early aughts. I mean. Obviously, you know, wrestling since, you know, the mid 90s, you know, what was called the attitude era of um, professional wrestling WWE, uh, you know, inspired a lot of kids to do crazy stuff in their backyards. (laughs) And so and of course, you know, people from growing up in our generation were were really sort of struck by wrestling and, and set out to do that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it it continues to happen. It's maybe tapered off a little bit, but um, you know, so certainly when we were thinking about this, we were thinking about like, oh, maybe like an early aughts movie would be really, really cool, or a late nineties mm-hmm. movie would be really, really cool. Ultimately, you know, the those elements and trying to do we already we realized we had enough um you know challenges sure. for production. And we didn't need <laughs> to dive into you know a period yeah. piece, but it 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 certainly is maybe the the height of that of this sort of thing was happening mm-hmm. in the in the early aughts for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think the aesthetic kind of came naturally without even trying. I think you know speaking for myself and maybe Max too, like that sort of aesthetic you caught on is is what I associate sort of with wrestling when I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that kind of came through, you know, we wanted it to feel a little like timeless. Like, I think it has a quality of um, definitely a specific place, but the time is just like, I don't know, a little amorphous. And we were sort of intentional about not defining exactly like when it takes place or exactly how long yeah. sort of the, the time frame is. Um, but I, I think some of that aesthetic is just from kind of emerging from what, max's view of wrestling is you know from that time in our lives yeah i mean uh
2: even just in my own life and it's funny how this has come up somewhat uh frequently recently conversations about like professional wrestling um i also similar to you patrick i didn't really have a personal connection to it and i think it's some of it is like a there's generational aspect to it as well um i think a lot of the the height of it, you know, and the lore, I didn't realize how like deep wrestling lore and storytelling is until I got into my adult years. A lot of it, you know, was in that early 80s uh, or mid 80s through early 90s period. Uh, by the time I was coming up, it was mostly about like, you know, uh, the video games like SmackDown versus Raw, stuff like that. People would play mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, like PSP and PlayStation and stuff. So totally. I think what's interesting about, putting this out today in an era that like really if anything is more dominated by like uh professional mixed martial arts right like you know UFC Mm. and stuff that's kind of what like even though there's less of a dramatic or narrative aspect to that that is kind of the the stardom I think appeal um I think there's something that is even without it being set in 2003 that does still feel nostalgic that does still feel um Uh, that it harkens to something a little simpler. And also, ironically, I mean, the company that owns WWE just bought uh, the UFC anyway.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: so So there you go. Um, So I want to ask a little more um, about the technique behind making the film, if that's all right. The film follows Brendan, who is a young uh, yarder, as is the jargon, um, trying to make his way, his insertion into uh, the pro wrestling, um, field and he gets a big shot, uh, you know, toward the end, of course it, you know, jeopardizes potentially his friendship, um, and his further, his other, you know, stable career opportunities. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, I'm curious, I mean, that scene for whatever amount of money you guys made this with looked great. I mean, the way that you utilized the extras and the way that you were able to, um, Of course, the sound design is a big part of that, you know, you know, creating the cheering environment and the way that you were able to almost isolate the ring from the audience as though it is in kind of a separate um, space and time. Mm -hmm. Uh, What were some of the visual inspirations for the look of your film overall and particularly for that fight scene? Shout out to James Michael Douglas, who. I know, uh, from, uh, from Palm Sunday, actually one of the other, uh, films that's in cuff mm. this year, a great lighting designer. Um, how did you guys craft, you know, the, the work, um, or the look of not only the entire film, but specifically that final fight?
0: And one thing, sorry. Uh, it was Bean Bramble was actually, um, on this one, James was part of the electric department, but. Uh, Ian oh. was was the uh, gaffer for for this one so just Oh got yeah. it well then
2: shout out to you
6: Yeah 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 <laughs> I mean he he made an amazing he, he did an amazing job and Ariano the DP also did an amazing job and and you know that was like a crazy you know it it, it came out of limitation honestly um because mm. you know the situation that we found ourselves in with covid was that you know we could only have a limited amount of people on the set at any given time. And so we needed to create a situation where we could, um, film an audience, uh, but also not necessarily have a ton of extras for Mm -hmm. that actual wrestling scene. And so if you look closely, um, there is a marked difference in like extras, whenever there's a shot of the actual wrestlers doing their, you know, choreography versus, um, when the uh, when we cut to a, a, an extra out in the audience they're actually not right. extras we went to a wrestling match and filmed the crowd so that was the so oh. they're not actually responding to anything that is going on in our film they're responding okay. to whatever the situation was in the ring at the time of the the matches that were going on live for them
2: gotcha um,
6: and for me you know I, I, I you know when going into this, I really wanted to create a feeling of authenticity throughout the entire film, you know, so having wrestlers that I became friends with over time and in North Carolina, a lot of those folks are in the film, a lot of people that, you know, like, either worked at the car dealership in reality or in the film, you know, Mm. and so we wanted to create this blend of an authentic, you know, uh, experience, you know, with, professional actors who are, Mm -hmm. you know, really focused on the arc of the story and their characters and their perspectives. And so for us, it just made a lot of sense to shoot a real wrestling match. And then through the magic of lighting design and color correction, we fit everything in like these little jigsaw pieces. You know, when the crowd's supposed to react the right way, we cut to that reaction. Um, Yeah. And shout out to, you know, um, Firestar Pro uh, Wrestling, where we shot the film because they were super accommodating to us coming in and shooting their um, actual live matches and having Mm -hmm. us backstage and around the space. It just it it made it like a perfect situation for us and we really just got lucky.
0: Go ahead, Pat. No, I think it was a little bit of luck, but I think it was also, you know a lot of work in pre-production especially to like max's credit and like really the whole kind of production team we were really intentional about like all right we're gonna go shoot in north carolina we need to like go down there ahead of time and find people not just like find a location but like especially in kind of the water wrestling we needed to find like that community and get a lot of buy-in to even just make it possible and you know max did a lot of just building relationships over the course of more than a year with these some of these wrestlers and then finding lebron and fire firestar like all of that sort of people took us kind of seriously and knew that this was like, this wasn't something to come make fun of sort of wrestling. Cause these are people, you know, in the movie that care about wrestling, like they they might not be like on TV doing it, but it's just like what they love to do. And I think that they recognize that in the project that, that Max wanted to make and that authenticity that he was really going for.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's very important. And I think the care for it shines through. Um, I wanted to ask about specifically the combat in the film. I know that you guys had a stunt coordinator. I believe I saw that credited as you should have. I mean, you're doing a lot of jumping and slamming and and tossing around. Um, How did you approach the combat in the film? Was there a long rehearsal process? Was it like, like highlighting, okay, I want to see this specific move. I want to see, you know, the uh, <laughs> the attitude adjustment. I want to see the RKO, like whatever. It yeah, is. yeah. Um, or, or, or was it more like you get a guy on and you tell him we're doing a wrestling movie and he's like, okay, I got you. And then,
6: you know, we were really lucky. So there's one individual that I have to give like so much credit to in the process of making this film, and it's my friend Chase uh, mm-hmm. Cauliflower Brown is his name, and okay. he's a professional wrestler. He he was for a long time. He's since. Uh, you know, hung up uh, the tights, but Mm -hmm. he's, you know, an incredible individual. He's a philosopher among many things. And so when I approached him about the film, he immediately understood like what the idea behind the film was and what I was hoping to achieve. And he sort of, um, he shepherded me into this world, you know, Mm. into, you know, whereas if I had, you know, tried to do it myself trying to build these relationships would have been really hard and he made everything very porous and allowed me to sort of infiltrate, you know, all of these stages and stuff. And so when trying to choreograph the match, you know, obviously there's an arc to the match and that was what was my intention. You know, I wanted to see this kid go into this ring and immediately get the crap kicked out of him, you know, Mm -hmm. hope to, to lessen and then mm-hmm. build over time, and then have this moment where he, he you know, commits this crotch shot, which in wrestling, mm-hmm. you know, that's a legal kind of thing, and that's mm-hmm. the mark of a heel, you know, mm-hmm. and so to embrace that role at the top rope and all that sort of stuff, you know, we knew that that was what we wanted to do. Obviously, I'm not trained, you know, in wrestling, and, mm-hmm. and so I largely put a lot of the onus on on the interstitial moments on to chase mm. and seeing yes. how he could make all that look good for the camera, you know, and then we would revise it and revise it. And it was funny because, you know, uh, a few days before we were set to, you know, make the film, we were rehearsing all of that choreography in the ring right. and talking with the stunt double and, and Pete Casa, who plays like that, Incredible, like macho man, you know, kind (laughs) of guy who's also just the best, also a professional wrestler. And um, I was feeling kind of sick and I ended up getting COVID, you know, and that was like a few days before we were supposed to shoot the film. So we were like, oh no, what are we going to do? But, you know, the incredible thing is that these folks really had my back, you know, everybody on the production had my back, the AD, you know, the um, the DP, everyone knew the assignment. And so, and they, they really felt for me too, because they knew how long, I mean, I waited a year to make this movie because of COVID. And then mm. sort of the crazy thing was getting COVID, you know, just before the movie. So uh, yeah. what ended up happening was we felt so confident in our um, stunt crew and in our choreographer and in our AD and in our DP that we actually had them shoot on the, the first day that scene. Um, and I was like off in a car with a monitor, like <laughs> a gazillion feet away, you know, wow, all, you know, yeah. just sanctioned off. And I was just doing my best to just like survive COVID, you know? Yeah. Um, so we really put a lot of trust in those folks. And I, I owe so much of those scenes, you know, and what they ended up turning out to be to those folks. Wow.
0: Yeah. And I think the other, you know, So Jackson was our stunt double. And so like the final match you'll see was was just truly two. you know, he's a wrestler at the, at Firestar where we ended up shooting. So Mm -hmm. it's like two kind of pro wrestlers sort of doing their thing. But I think a lot of credit to our our lead, Justin McKinney, um, you know, there's a sort of a tryout scene where Justin had to go in for like, he spent the day, like the rehearsal was mostly him just getting comfortable in the ring, learning to run the, which is like, Mm -hmm. you don't think about it, but just like running the ropes is hard like i and like i tried it just gets yeah. destroyed it's so crazy. but like doing it doing it the proper way you know chase was there sort of showing us a little bit of technique and you know there's a, a move that justin learned like how to sort of take a true bump and i don't know it really mm-hmm. like credit to him he spent sort of a day of rehearsal just like getting comfortable at that level to be able to sell it and i think it really paid off
2: yeah absolutely yeah it's amazing to hear that story it it, it makes me think of how you know in the kind of heyday of hong kong you know action movie making they would have like a separate team specifically for the fight choreography that and it's not like the director didn't know what was going on but he he handed it off to the experts and he was like i trust you guys once you know what my vision is to make it happen yeah um so that's really dope i uh Well, now we've arrived at the part where I get to ask you the fun signature question of the medium work. Uh, We are a double feature podcast. Our standard episodes usually involve us reviewing uh, at least two films in connection with each other, uh, be that, because usually we try to match them up thematically. Um, So my question, and you can each give an answer is, were you programming this film on your own? Is there another film that you would annex it with that you would put it next to? um, And uh, what is that film?
0: Mm.
6: Do you have a, I have some thoughts. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts because there's a lot of films that, you know, inspired me. Obviously Mm -hmm. you can look at, you know, the wrestling, um, you know, space and talk about a movie like The Wrestler, right, by Mm -hmm. Darren Aronofsky, which, you know, I I think it's also really important to look at it from the perspective of like, you know, a career in wrestling Mm. because, you know, that protagonist has probably been through what our guy is going through. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me, sort of the challenge of any dream is like, whether it manifests into the thing, the reality of it manifests into the thing that you always thought it would be, or mm. if it manifests into something different, I think it'll always manifest into something different. I never think you'll ever capture, you know, whatever it was. It's like when you try to make a movie and and then, you know, people say, oh, it dies in the in the edit room or whatever. You have to build mm-hmm. it back up, you know, yeah, and that sort of thing. So I, I do think pairing these films would be really fascinating. Um, I'd have to look at, you know, I think Foxcatcher is another movie that I studied okay. from the perspective of like, you know, just any of these d- movies about people <laughs> and their dreams. It doesn't have to be about wrestling. You know, mm-hmm. um, the movie Fish Tank was a huge inspiration for me about. Mm-hmm. A, um, a girl who who wants to dance to escape a struggle, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what mm-hmm. she's just fighting for, you know. But ultimately, the 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 space around her and the people around her are going to be affected, you know, by this dream, you know, this desire to join the circus in a certain, yeah.
2: you know, kind of way. What about you, Pat?
0: Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of trying to think of sort of the don't know. this is this was maybe a little bit of a stretch but there's something i appreciated about the script and the story that max wrote like that i always find really compelling um of like you know you have this character with a dream and they're sort of uh, essentially throwing sort of other parts of their life away or like ending a friendship betraying Mm -hmm. people for this dream but then the dream itself isn't like To be on tv or to get a million dollars it's to like (laughs) wrestle in sort of this gym and an you know sort of in front of a small crowd maybe but like that dream becomes so big for that individual character it kind of like takes over everything else and i i feel like um that's something i've always loved about coen brothers movie this isn't like this in the same necessary tonal range but i feel like they study these Mm -hmm. characters that will like sort of commit murder for like $10,000 or whatever, you know, it's like the stakes <laughs> are always like sort of out of whack. So I don't know, maybe something like blood simple. It's not the same movie, but there's like this idea of betrayal. There's kind of this specificity and like this, this idea of like, yeah, you're really sort of giving up everything for, yeah. for something kind of small objectively, or like, you know, in the yeah, minds yeah. of the viewer it seems small unless you're that person and it's everything. So.
2: Those are, those are great answers. I have seen, None of those films. <laughs> oh, I've, no.
0: Oh, oh my God. I've heard.
6: Got to check <laughs> I've them all heard out.
2: Of, of them all. So I'll just put them on my letterbox watch list. Simple, um, straight. But thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining. Audience, if you would like to watch Chokehold, and we highly recommend that you do, you can catch it at Block G of the Columbia University Film Festival. That's Sunday, May 14th at 5 p.m. Max, Patrick, thank you both again so much for joining us. Um, we'll hope to have either and both of you back on for a standard episode sometime.
0: Cool. Yeah, we'd love that. Thank you, Justin. Thanks, Justin.
2: This has been another entry in our Columbia University Film Festival interview series. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoy what you heard. There'll be more of these on our feed, so please check them all out and give these filmmakers the attention they deserve. Also, feel free to peruse our mainline episodes. There's always something to see inside the morgue. Leave a rate and review wherever you get the show. We greatly appreciate it. Till next time.